Blog Talk Radio. It's that time again. Time for some real talk about real issues to enhance your real life. Whatever you think, whatever you know, whatever you feel, Tanya doesn't mind talking about it. Get ready for some talk that is always rated to R. Because talk with Tanya has got to be relevant. Talk with Tanya has got to be refreshing. But most importantly, talk with Tanya has got to be real. Tune in right now for real talk with Tanya White.
Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Tanya White. I am your host, Tanya White, and we are in the middle of our moving from okay to becoming outstanding. And tonight we're talking about outstanding people who have overcome extraordinary situations. We're talking about breast cancer and domestic violence. The song you just heard was by Beyonce, uh, Mary J., uh, a list of other females uh, who recorded that song, I believe it was two years ago, for breast cancer awareness. And um, all it simply says, don't give up, just stand up. Um, And that's what you need to do, not only in life, but especially in situations such as breast cancer and domestic violence. So we have three wonderful women on deck tonight to discuss breast cancer and domestic violence. We have uh, two ladies who are survivors, praise the Lord, of breast cancer. Uh, Nina Stum, she is from Louisville. She is my, uh, she's in my city. I've worked with her on several events and organizations. And also Alfreda Etlin, uh, she is from Baltimore, Maryland. They're going to talk about their experience uh, with breast cancer, uh, their diagnosis, how they overcame the situation and didn't give up. Alfreda has written a book confronting breast cancer, A Believer's Journey, and she has graciously donated two copies, and two winners will win that tonight. And we also have a donation uh, from a domestic violence survivor. She has written a book, Just Beyond My Heart Lies My Soul, Tanya M. Jordan. She is also from my wonderful city of Louisville, Kentucky. So three people have uh, opportunity to win three great gifts tonight. Uh, we will tell you how to do that in just a few moments. Last week we had the incredible one herself, Darnell Jervy, and I call him the uh, phenom of motivation in the making, Layman Hicks. They talked about how to stand out in any crowd, and if you missed that, you missed the treat. So download the archives, will you? Uh, Layman says something so powerful. He teaches people to get up, go for it, uh, and get out. Get up, get out, and go for it when you're trying to stand out in any crowd. And uh, on October 1st, we just talked to Vanessa Miller, Nancy Kaiser, and Kama Anku. They talked about moving from being forsaken to becoming spiritually fit. That show was awesome, too. So download those archives. And tonight, as I said, we're talking about outstanding people who have overcome extraordinary situations, such as breast cancer and domestic violence. Uh, I have a co-host tonight, and I'm so excited. But before I bring her on, I want to encourage you um, to become a sponsor of the Real Talk with Tanya White show. We have four fantastic levels. uh, And you all, we have 15,000 page views and 10,000 downloaded listens. We've only been on the air 10 months. So this show is becoming very popular. Uh, And so we would love for you to become a sponsor. Visit us at TanyaWhite.com, Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, White is in the color dot com to see how you can become a sponsor of the Real Talk with Tanya White show. I know I know you thinking I don't have enough money. Listen, we have a package that fits your wallet. Trust me. And while you're visiting TanyaWhite dot com, sign up for my newsletter. It's free. It's called Tanya's Tips and it gives you tips for today to transform your tomorrow and today's issue, which we have been flooded with responses about. It was entitled The Blueprint for Being Your Best. You all know that I'm loving JC's uh, new CD, The Blueprint. I'm loving it from start to finish. And so I was inspired to write about it and what I've uh, gleaned from his motivational tips. Uh, and also while you visit visiting TanyaWhite.com, go ahead 
ahead and order your copy of the 99 Males Who Make Your Life a Living Hell. It is a woman's guide for creating a drama-free life while dealing with difficult men who cause strife. And listen, we have been receiving phenomenal feedback on that book. And if you haven't ordered it, you can order it via my website where you will get an autographed copy and a free gift, or you can order it from Amazon.com. They have uh, a lot in stock right now, but they're flying off the shelf, and you can get it uh, your copy in one day. If you go to Amazon.com, order the 99 Males Who Make Your Life a Living Hell. And since October is Domestic Violence Month, we are donating 20% of the proceeds to Rhonda's Another Chance, a women's transitional house here in my city of Louisville, Kentucky. And this Saturday I will be speaking uh, at an uh, event that they're having, and I will be talking about the kings of chaos and how you can get those kings of chaos out of your life so that you can be a queen of contentment, confidence, and character. That's going to be awesome. It's an early morning glory uh, event, and it starts at 7.45 a.m., and it's from until 9.45 p.m. I will be signing books, and you'll be able to purchase one. So if you're close to the Louisville area, come October 17th to the Hill Street Christian Church on Dixie Highway for the Rhonda's Another Chance uh, quarterly event. So now, listen, tonight our topic again is breast cancer and domestic violence, and I have a co-host, and I'm so excited. You know her, you love her, Sherlyn Bond, host of Unveiling the Mass Radio. I would like to bring her on. Hello, Sherlyn, how are you? Hey, Tanya, how are you? I am fantastic tonight, revved up in this cold weather. I don't know, is it cold in St. Louis? Bone chilling, girl. Oh, my goodness. I was like, okay, we just switched on to December because it, it's freezing. It really is. <laughs> it's been raining the last couple of days here, so on top of the cold and the rain, it's chilling cold. Yes, it, it's same. we must get the same weather because uh, we've had rain <laughs> It's been cold. I had to finally turn on my heat. I was trying to wait it out into November, but I had to finally kick it on this week. So, <laughs> Yeah, cold. I refuse to put on the heat. I grabbed a little heater and stuck it in the room. <laughs> listen, I tried. I tried to wait it out, but I was like, I'm going to catch pneumonia. So, but listen, Shirley, I'm glad to have you on tonight. Oh, well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be a co-host. Yes, co-hosting with me tonight. We're talking about breast cancer and domestic violence, and you're going to talk about the domestic violence piece at the uh, the last segment of our show. But before we bring on our first guest, Sherlyn, and, and it's Nina Stum. She is from Louisville, Kentucky. I want you to tell our audience who you are, what you're doing, and what's up with unveiling the mask. Wow, that's a lot. Right now I always introduce myself or describe myself as being a vessel. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be an open vessel and a servant first and foremost. In addition to the many hats of author, speaker, result coach, those are the labels that I wear, but my true purpose is to be a serve, um, servant. Mm-hmm. And really I'm preparing. I've been on this all-in-out tour since September, which includes being on a radio show or a television show at least once a week, every day, every week, from now until March when the book Unveiling the Mask is released. Unveiling the Mask, Stripped and Silenced, Never Shattered, is dealing with sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm causing quite a stir. <laughs> it's Listen. causing quite a stir. Many That's what it's supposed know. to do. The yes. title alone causes a stir, <laughs> unveiling the mask. I already see yes. it. You know, I've been excited about this book project. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's been so, as a matter of fact, this morning I was on a good friend of ours, TC, um, JFJ, live oh. talk radio this morning, and the response was overwhelming. We had extended to a whole nother hour. Wow. <laughs> but really, unveiling the mask, now, although the book is dealing with sexual abuse and a whole lot of sexual sins, mm-hmm. um, everybody want to know what's unique about Unveiling the Mask and why I chose that title. The reason why I chose Unveiling the Mask that houses my speaking and a coaching platform is because, Tanya, we really were a lot of men, mm-hmm. men and women. Yes. You know, it could be, uh, for women, it could be anywhere from our designer clothes to our weaves to our nails to our social background, our children, uh, men, we, you know, hide behind certain platforms and status that we have because nobody wants to reveal their vulnerability. No one wants to uncover everything and say, this is me, this is who I am. And we're being ushered in the year 2010, and I just really believe we're going through a transformational brink where it's time to just get real, mm-hmm. you know, have real talk be real authentic, get back to real love, dropping all the pretense. Even in our relationship, we were masked because we don't want our husband or our spouse to see that vulnerable side of us. Mm, so mm, unveiling mm. the mask, uh, my platform in which I speak, just like let's just can we just really just get real? And you hear a lot of people claiming this is real this and this is real that, but then they add it with a lot of pufferies and sugars. This is, as my uh, grandmother used to say, this is the whole meat and potatoes of it. It, It's not giving you no any preservatives, no additives, no artificial flavors. You getting down to the real meat and bone of the situation. And with unveiling the mask, uh, dealing with sexual abuse, that's a whole nother monster within itself. So we are, um, the the reason this book is so unique and I'm so excited and I guess it's causing quite a stir before months before it come out is because we hear a lot of celebrities, uh, Monique, Oprah, uh, Mary J, and I love those ladies, but they only put out a little bit. They say, right. this is what happened to me. This is my story. And bada boom, bada bing, that's it. They they just tell you this is what happened. Nobody is offering them a solution. Nobody is going back and holding the government and holding us women who are allowing right. these predators to come into our house. Mm. Nobody is holding them responsible and saying, not anymore, no more. I'm not going to hide behind shame, guilt. I'm, I'm not going to hide it behind rejection because I'm dealing with pornography and I'm dealing with promiscuity and I'm dealing with all these issues because this happened to me. I can't go to the church because they shut the door in my face. I can't go to my friends because they, like, get over it. You know, you have mm. no water turn, so it's getting back to, you know, just saying, you know, no, you, you're not going to put me. I'm a victim, and you're making me feel like I've caused the crime, and I'm mm. eight years old. So it's holding our uh, government, it's holding these women responsible for the choices that they're allowing because many times the predator only comes in through the house between the guardian. So that's either your mother, your aunt, whoever you're staying with, that's the entryway to you. 
Yeah. And because they're choosing these men out of desperation and, Ooh. you know, loneliness, you know, women are having lifetime issues. Wow. They can't have, they're not able to make financial choices. They're not able to have a real one-on-one intimate relationship with a husband because of sexual abuse. So I'm just so excited for the um the stir that is causing, you know, it's causing a little controversy. Listen, girl, uh, you're on fire right now. Um, And this <laughs> is why I know this book, Unveiling the Mask, because you know I'm your I'm your accountability person. I'll be like, Shirley, read this book right now. But I know in, in time it's going to uh, it's gonna be powerful. It's going to be a national bestseller, Essence, New York Times, because like you said, it is time to unveil those masks and get, like, real talk, real, and really real about the situation. So we're going to talk more about that, Shirley, in the third hour, and, t- and you're going to uh, tell your story. And if you just joined us, that is my co-host, Sherlyn Vaughn from the other Lou, St. Louis, and she is on fire. She must have had a phenomenal show because I feel the anointing. We're going to put it on hold just a minute. Uh, we may have to extend this show, but we're going to talk about that in our third segment, domestic violence. And if you want to talk about sexual abuse, because I think they go hand in hand, she's going to do that in our third segment. But first, we have our first guest up, Nina Stum. She is the founder of Women of Vision and Purpose. And I know tonight's uh, show, Sheldon, you know I'm very, I'm always a planner. I always send questions, but I really want it to flow tonight. And so whatever okay. questions you feel in your spirit, we're going to flow tonight because I really want you all, I want you, Nina, and Alfreda to really flow in the spirit and tell your story because I know somebody's listening live or in the archives and who is going to be helped, who is going to be transformed and encouraged. And so I want to bring on Nina Stum. Um, she is the founder of Women of Vision and Purpose. Again, like I said, she is from Louisville, Kentucky. I work with uh, this sister on many occasions. Really, she is the person who encouraged me uh, and was that vessel for me to go into teaching something that I love. Uh, and so um, she was put in my pathway by God for a reason, but now she is working uh, with Women of Vision and Purpose and doing a lot of other things, but she is a breast cancer survivor. So I want to bring her on so she can talk, give her story and share with our audience a real talk with Tanya White. So welcome for the first but not Thank the last you. time. Hello, Thank Nina. you. Thank you so much. Hello, my sisters. How are all of you doing this evening? How are you? I am so blessed. First of all, I just want to thank God for the opportunity, and I want to say to Tanya because she has been such a light to me and an encouragement. When I first, uh, and I knew that it was God was leading me to get involved with the nonprofit organization Women of Vision and Purpose, I had a sit-down one-on-one with Tanya, and I have to say that it was amazing, and she helped me through God's grace, to believe and to organize on paper that we could actually do some things. And it has been amazing three years, and I want to say publicly thank you, Tanya, for your coaching and just for your willingness to work with Women of Vision and Purpose. Well, thank you. You're so welcome. You're welcome. And also I just want to say that um, this evening I'm listening to the testimony of the women talk about um, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, as many people know, I am a survivor of sexual abuse. And what had happened when I first was diagnosed with breast cancer, it seemed like all of the fear that I had felt as a child come rushing back to me. It's amazing how one traumatic um, incident can really trigger another one. But um, through all of that, 
I was able to work with women who now are are dealing and coping with breast cancer to be inspired to know that that doesn't mean that your life is over. Uh, Simply because you've been diagnosed with breast cancer doesn't mean that you still don't have purpose for your life and that you cannot be actively involved with other people, showing them that uh, this illness is not an illness unto death. Wow. Wow. Now, Nina, how many years have you been uh, since? What year did you find out that you was diagnosed? I was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 1999, and it was really through a self-breast examination. Both my grandmother and my great-grandmother had had breast cancer, and my grandmother made a point to educate her daughters and the women in her family about self-breast examination. So I remember it was after church one day. I was laying on this sofa, and I was like, hmm, this seems very, very um, strange. And I immediately scheduled an appointment and went to the doctor. And I have to say that even though I felt that it may have been something, just to hear the word, you have cancer, was very Mm. overwhelming. Wow. Uh, of of course, uh, whether you have it or you have a family member, just that C word, I know, uh, scares uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, and like you said, you automatically think life is over, but it it, it really doesn't have to be. Now, how did you find the strength to uh, get over the shock and do what you needed to do to uh, get control of this? You know, my faith has had uh, a very strong part of my life, but God works through people, mm-hmm. and I remember when I first went to uh, actually hear the diagnosis once they had done the biopsy. One of my best friends, she and I have been friends since we were like 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. She sat there with me when she heard the doctor say that, yes, it was malignant. She sat there with me when I cried. And I have made a point since that time to remember how, even though it was very sad for me at the time, that having someone there with me walking through the process meant all the world to me. And so I know that... Um, it's important to have a support group, whatever it is that you're coping with. Um, and so Women of Vision and Purpose has made a point to be involved, actively involved mm-hmm. with women who are suffering, uh, some of them now who may even be suffering with a more advanced um, type of cancer. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for me, when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I only had stage one mm-hmm. uh, cancer, and uh, I went through a process which is called, <clears throat> excuse me, which they called a a lumpectomy. But two years ago, I was diagnosed with a reoccurrence, and I had to have a mastectomy. And it affected my self-esteem. It affected that body image that we have, and the fear came back even more because I just assumed that when when the cancer came back with my grandmother, she passed away. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, two years ago when I was diagnosed with a reoccurrence, I thought, okay, for sure I'm getting ready to die. Mm -hmm. But God said not not so. And, of course, all of us have have a destination with death. I think we focus too much on death. It's not about so much dying because eventually we all will die. Mm -hmm. But it's whether or not in the process what we learn and what we do to help and to serve others because truly I know that on this journey God has given me an opportunity to first of all be mature and and, um, because before I was diagnosed I don't think I was very focused on the health of other people. I just have to say, you know how we are, we're into our own world. Right. I was, you know, I had my own mask. I was doing my own thing, mm-hmm. and it's like, bam, you know, reality hits you. So sometimes you have to go through some things to really be where God wants you to be. 
Right. And in that process, especially the second diagnosis, I'm like, okay, I really have to get busy because I know that God has a plan and a purpose for my life, and that involves giving service to other people, especially women. I'm very focused on empowerment to women because I think many times we've not lived up to our best and had our best lives because we're so busy caring for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in in terms of health, and that's one of the things that we're doing with women's health through Women of Vision and Purpose, is really showing women and teaching women how to better care for themselves. Right. right. And if you just join Real Talk with Tanya White, we're talking to Nina Stum, breast cancer survivor, and she's telling her story uh, tonight. Sherlyn, do you have any questions for Nina? Nina, um, once you receive the diagnosis that you did have cancer, um, and I know you said you went through the fear and the emotional, but what did what were the major changes that your uh, uh, life went through? I often hear that when someone goes through uh, a life-altering situation, such as being told that they have cancer, that they start uh, appreciating or valuing or, you know, they make major transitions in their life. So what was your journey? That is so true. That is so true. Because initially you you take things for granted, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think once you hear that C word, you no longer take your life for granted. And then, too, I think you become more focused on, I want to live a life of purpose, which is why our organization, Women of Vision and Purpose, I knew that God was giving me a vision. In fact, I had a dream. I saw myself walking on water. You know, we call ourselves water walkers. Mm-hmm. And as a baby, and I think that in that dream, the Lord was showing me that I needed to mature, I needed to grow up. And sometimes, as I said, trauma can lead that. It will get your attention. It's like, okay, I need to take the focus off of me, have the focus on God and the purpose that he has for me. So truly that illness did that for me. And then, too, it helped to increase my faith because I had so many people around me praying, and helping to encourage me because there were times that I doubted, you know. And one of the things that helped me, which is I know the reason why I don't really fear death, is because in the scripture it says absent from the body, present with the Lord. I really, really held on to that. And I knew, too, that the word says that that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so my mind began to clear up, and I began to see, you know, because I, I have to admit, from childhood sexual abuse as a child, it really puts a lot of clouds in your mind and a lot of depression. And so in the midst of all of that, I began to see, okay, this is what I have been destined to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to stand up and to help to educate women in their health. And so doing that has given me um, such an encouragement that, I'm no longer fearful, you know, and and I feel that once once I do, you know, eventually die and 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 uh, be with the Lord, that He will say, uh, "Well done," because I have spent my time while here helping other people. Wow, awesome! And you said something. I tried to write it down, but you said trauma will clear your mind, and not only. If you are the person diagnosed with cancer, you know my mother was diagnosed with cancer, yes. and you know she went to be with the Lord. But that uh, experience, that is what it's like a pushing. It's like now, okay, like you said, you had to grow up. Now yeah. I need to grow up. I call it that my purpose, my passion, and my pain they were perfectly yes. aligned, and I knew what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life. So right. out of that trauma in my life, even though I wasn't diagnosed with cancer. 
just seeing my mother, what she went through, and seeing how quick it was, and seeing, you know, all the emotions start to flood your mind, it does quicken you and clear your mind and put you on that pathway of purpose, as you said, which is, uh, that's what God wants us to do. And I want to talk about more of your family, um, Mm. your family around you. Uh, How did they have to adjust? Because, you know, there was a lot lot of people, because we don't understand it, sometimes we're... uh, we're scared even to talk about it with our family members about the diagnosis. Did you have to, like, comfort your family even while you were going through that? I did. But, you know, it was the the oddest thing. I, I really had a lot of support of some family. But, unfortunately, I had the, um, some family members who did not believe that I had cancer. Uh-huh. And, and I said that I was going to make a uh, – uh, to write a book about that and share that story, how painful that was, mm-hmm. that I had actually heard that someone said, well, you know, she just cut her hair off. I cut my hair because my, I was beginning to lose my hair. Mm-hmm. And then that um, I didn't really actually have cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tanya, I have to share with the audience that I haven't really talked about this publicly, but I cried about that, you know, mm-hmm. because I thought, who in the world would want to make something up like that? Mm-hmm. And then when I went, and of course, too, because I'd had the lumpectomy and I didn't have the breast removed, I, I guess they thought, well, she's not really, you know, sick. And mm-hmm. so, you know, not that you want to be sick, but you want the support of your family, you right. know. So I thank God that I had my church family, mm-hmm. and I had many sisters around me mm-hmm. that looked at that situation and said, girl, don't pay any attention to that. And, mm-hmm. you know, later on when I was diagnosed a second time and had to go through a mastectomy, they came back and they apologized. But mm-hmm. I just remember it is so important that you have people who care about you, people that you can trust and that can nurture you because mm-hmm. that in itself was Probably as as painful as actually hearing the diagnosis is having people doubt you, you know, yeah. and uh, and question you, and it, it's it's very strange. But all of us have different family issues that we deal with, many dysfunctional families. But what I have done in the process is developed a family that I could trust, mm. you know, well, a nurturing so family. Yeah, because you know I I experienced some crazy family members during my mom's sickness, and I, I thank the Lord for holding. Uh, my son, because I could have been in jail several times. Because uh, crazy, you know, crazy situations bring out crazy people sometimes. That's and I true. think they don't mean to be malicious and unsupportive. It's fear in themselves. But I know exactly what you mean. I was like standing over my mother's sick body, holding back my mm. fist from going into some family member's face. But that's reality when you hear, uh, you know, illnesses and you feel out of control. Right. Uh, Shirley, do you have any last questions for Nina? Time has quickly come to an end. Wow, it's already So, I Actually, I just want to know what information or what advice would you give to others? Because I know, and I've had many members in my, some too, that I've lost to breast cancer and some who have gotten the diagnosis. And many a times when you hear something as dramatic as the C word, it's like, oh, my death sentence. So what advice would you give to women who may have just received the news or, you know, or currently um, know someone that they're going through this and they're wondering, well, how can I be a support to her? 
Right. Well, first of all, to know that not all sickness is unto death and to also know that as you go through the process that there are other women out there who are going through it as well and that your testimony, your faith, your encouragement can help each other, you know, because a lot of times when you're struggling, if you're there to help someone else, it takes your mind off of your own personal struggle. I just wanted to share that. I was reading some statistics today that more than 6,000 black women do die from breast cancer every year. And so with October being Breast Cancer Awareness, we really want to get out and educate women to do the the self-breast examination both times on both situations. I found the lump myself, and I went and immediately took care uh, of the situation. And I have to say that the second time, it took a while because mm-hmm. it's like um, the doctor was saying, oh, you just had a mammogram, and you have to be your own best advocate sometime. Mm-hmm. And and I continued to pursue that. And so when they found out that actually the cancer had returned, I believe that that, could help, uh, that, that helped to save my life. And also I want to say that this weekend, uh, Tanya, I wanted to share with the listening audience that we are having an event at the mm-hmm. Brown Hotel. Yes. Tomorrow. It is called Mm-hmm. It is tomorrow night. It starts at 6, 6 o'clock in the Crystal Ballroom. It's called the Pink Ribbon Project, and it is an event that is going to recognize four, four amazing women, two of which are breast cancer survivors, Dr. Beverly Gaines, a pediatrician here in Louisville, mm-hmm. and Zambia and Kruma. And then also we're recognizing two volunteers who have worked with the Kentucky African Americans Against Cancer, and that's Marie Clay and Gracie Lewis. So I encourage those to come out Friday night for our reception, and then Saturday at Central High School, we have a free mammogram unit that's going to be out there as well as other vendors, other health vendors, taking blood pressure, diabetes testing, and actually on-site screening for HIV and AIDS. So women really need to pay attention to their health and Women of Vision and Purpose. Our mission is to encourage women. In fact, we say that we are there to empower women through education, advocacy, and support, and we do that especially through our health education programming. Wow, you do a whole lot of other things. I want you to give out your contact information. We have a Miss Kentucky in chat. She's like... uh, she wanted your information, uh, okay, and she's giving some great comments. And <laughs> she's like she's found herself just listening to your testimony, and Thank she you. needs help. So she wants to contact you. Can you give out your contact information, Nina? Absolutely. Uh, we are located at Fourth and Broadway. We're in the Hayburn Building, and the address is three thirty-two West Broadway. Suite 309. We need lots of volunteers, so if any of your listening audience is interested in coming by and helping us out, that would be great. Our phone number is area code 502-749-1100, 502-749-1100. I'm so excited, Tanya. You're going to be with us at the health fair and having a booth there. Uh, we're going to be giving a free pink brunch, providing food, so Saturday is free. The tickets tomorrow at the Brown is only a $25 donation, which includes dinner. So I do hope that everyone will come out and participate. And then check our website. We do have a website. It's www.womenofvisionandpurpose.org, womenofvisionandpurpose.org. And I want to thank you so much for allowing me to come on your show and just share this information and encourage women. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you. You're going to have uh, some people contact you. I put your link in the chat and uh, okay. the 749-1100 number. And last words of wisdom, because you said something, again, important. 
that women, as women, we take care of everyone else besides ourselves. And I'm a firm believer the first person you need to take care of is yourself because then you, and then and only then can you honestly and truly help somebody else. So I want you to give last words of wisdom uh, for, and not just breast cancer, but anything because your uh, organization, Women of Vision and Purpose, is so powerful and a lot of women do not know their vision or do not understand their purpose. So any last words of wisdom? Right. I want to say that initially when we first started, our our mission statement read that we are moving from victimization to vision and from pain to purpose. And we marinated on that for a while because I walked as a victim for a long time because mm-hmm. I had been violated as a child. But God was showing me I don't have to remain a victim, that he had given me a vision for my life and a purpose for my life. Now our focus is to help educate women and families about education and how to be advocates not only for themselves but for others because to better you know, serve the community, you do have to take care of yourself and to be a support to each other. And so sometimes I, I think think that we forget that we can't do things alone. One of the things I'm learning how to do is learn how to ask for help, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I'm, once we've learned that, that we can be more effective together, sharing, helping, encouraging each other, no matter what we're facing, we will be so much more empowered. And that's what Women of Vision and Purpose is about, empowering women. Yes, you're doing an awesome job. Uh, much success on your event. I will be Thank there Thank you. Late. Saturday. We'll be looking for you. All right. And we'll follow up with you later, Nina. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you just joined Real Talk with Tanya White, that was Nina Stum of Louisville, Kentucky. She's the founder of Women and Vision and Purpose, breast cancer survivor and sexual abuse survivor. And we may have her back on to talk about the sexual abuse. But powerful information, Cheryl. And what what stuck with you about uh, what Nina said anytime? Well, most of what she said um, stuck with me, but that first part, which um, she said that she was a sexual abuse, she was abused sexually as a child, and Mm -hmm. when she heard the big C word, a lot of emotions came up. And that, you know, that is a major thing for a lot of us, and that's one of the things I touched on this morning uh, on a previous show that I did, that people just don't realize how prevalent and how powerful those emotions are what sexual abuse really are, many times we think that it's over with, you know, when it happens, but it's not. It lingers on for a lifetime if you don't seek help and healing for it. Exactly. So many other issues go along with that because it's like a ripping away of your whole personhood when you're sexually abused. We're going to talk about that more, but we have on the line Afrida Edelin. She is the author of Confronting Breast Cancer, A Believer's Journey, and she has graciously donated Two copies, and uh, we're going to tell you how you can win uh, your copy uh, at the end of her interview. But she is a breast cancer survivor, and at age 46, she was forced to confront the giants of fear, as Nina said, rejection, as Nina said, and the debilitating process of undergoing six months of aggressive chemotherapy treatment. Uh, and so she's going. To, we're going to bring her on so she can tell her story about. Uh, being a breast cancer survivor. So welcome to the Real Talk with Tanya White Show. Ms. Alfreda, hello. How are you? Hi. How are you, Tanya? I am fantastic. I have a wonderful co-host tonight, too, Cheryl and Vaughn. So we're going to okay. talk to you about this great book and your uh, experience with breast cancer. But before we get started, 
Uh, I want you to tell us who you are in your own words. Well, I am a woman of faith, of courage, of love, um, and of grace. I'm a a woman, a a wife, a sister, a daughter, uh, mother, and grandmother. Mm. Wow. And so you have written your, your journey. Uh, mm-hmm. for breast cancer down in a book, which I commend you, first of all, for taking the time to write down your journey, to share with others. Um, but it's a great book, uh, great chapters, and we're just going to uh, talk about briefly some of those chapters. I want to talk about, like I asked Nina, she was a breast cancer survivor, and you call this the shaking, and and that is when uh, what happened in this chapter, the shaking. The shakening would happen, um, I started one night, I was sitting at my dining room table with a close friend, and we were working on um, a planning project, mm-hmm. and I excused myself to go to the uh, bathroom, and so I was washing my hands, and I heard a voice says, touch your left breast, and mm-hmm. immediately, you know, I am a believer, I'm a Christian, so me, I was like, what? No, you a liar. <laughs> and so I heard the voice again. <laughs> And it was something, it was this time when the voice spoke to me, it sort of shook. Every, you know, it, it got my attention. It, you know, it causes you to pause. And I knew that something was wrong. And, um, and the tumor that I had was only two point, well, I should say, I shouldn't minimize it by saying it was only 2.6 million because it was a good-sized tumor. But you would have had to really, you know, massage the breast area to feel for it. But when I laid my hands on the left breast, standing in front of the bathroom mirror, I could feel it. And uh, it felt like a shakening. Um, I returned to the table. Um, our meeting came to a close. And my friend that I was meeting with, she knew that something was wrong, and I shared with her. And I said, well, you know, I'm sure it's nothing serious. And she said, well, you know, I, I think we probably need to bring the meeting to a close. We prayed. The meeting ended. And, and that was the beginning for me. Because mm-hmm. um, I could not go to sleep, you know. I, again, you know, when something shakes you and and, mm-hmm. and it causes trauma, it catches your attention. So I lay down at night um, in the bed, with you know, just looking up at the ceiling, wondering, well, what, you know, what could this be? And I found myself massaging. Well, you know, when I I lay down in that position, I couldn't feel the lump anymore. Mm-hmm. So then I began to wonder, did I feel what I thought I felt? You know, right. And then I began to wonder, well. You know, when was my last mammogram? And I really believe that I had my, my mammogram the year before, where in reality I had missed the year, you know, because time goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, you've missed that appointment. And uh, so that night I just began to really kind of be tormented with thoughts because I could not ignore the shakening that I felt inside of me. For me, that was a signal. That a, a signal had went off with a mm-hmm. very loud alarm that said something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, and that feeling was confirmed. I couldn't wait. Actually, I didn't really want to go to sleep. And I and eventually I just began to pray. And I really just had to, you know, speak some things to my own mind, call my mind to rest. But I really did not want to go to sleep. I mean, if I could have got out of my bed and went to see my doctor that night, I would have. And so immediately when I um, had awakened in the morning, I called my OBGYN and, and, um, and told her it was an emergency, and they, they asked me to come in. And immediately uh, she said, yeah, you know, I, there is a, a suspicious, she used, the, she used the term suspicious lump, 
Mm. And she says, well, you know, I want to immediately refer you to uh, someone that I really know that is really good. She's a, a very uh, renowned breast care um, a surgeon, and and I'm, I just want her to handle you with special care, take you through the level of testing and to be sure. And, I mean, from that moment on, I was like I was on a roller coaster. I was in and out of doctor's office sometimes um, having tests conducted, examinations that went on for hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I love taking things in the read with me. And I would fall asleep and wake up and, and be there, and it would be like, you know, all these physicians standing around me. I was like, what is going on? Um, it was very alarming for me because initially uh, when I went in to see the radiologist and they began to do the mammograms and the, um, uh, and the ultrasounds, they thought that I had masses in both of my breasts. Mm. And... Um, I remember uh, when, after meeting with the radiologist, who then again um, gave me the film to take over to see the breast uh, care surgeon, uh, she said, oh, well, you know, both of these areas are very, very suspicious. And I'll tell you, I really didn't know what any of that meant. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to process all of that. And I remember leaving the office. Uh, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, I was downtown, and I walked out, and I called a close friend of mine. I said, you know, they said that I, they think I have masses on my breast. I don't know. And, um, and actually, this person really gave me some really good advice. And uh, she said, you know what, take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Do it. And she said, because I can hear your spirit racing and, you know, full of anxiety. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, okay. So I, I took a couple of deep breaths, and then um, she just really began to affirm some things about, you know, how God didn't give me a spirit of fear Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and you know, that I would be okay. And, and afterwards, I really felt better. I said, you know what, uh, you're right. But still, I knew from that first moment of shaking that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very next day, I went in to see the breast care surgeon, and she uh, began to perform ultrasounds. And, I mean, they, I, I mean, they treated me like it was really a matter of life and death in minutes. So every minute wow. counts. You know, um, I had never had that much medical attention in all of my life. And uh, eventually it was confirmed that I did have um, a tumor in my left breast and in the mm-hmm. right breast, uh, that my right breast was lumpy. And my breast, both breasts, is naturally lumpy. And so it was hard to detect. In, in previous years, I had a few lymph nodes removed, which made it even more harder to find those tumors because of the scar tissue. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole process for me uh, was really a, a great shaking in. And the, after the surgery, I had a lumpectomy, um, as my story told in the book, and came home and healed from that and really felt pretty good. I was very optimistic and said, well, you know, I'd be able to return back to work uh, shortly, and this will be the end of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever, you know, when they removed the tumor, um, that tissue or that specimen went to the pathologist and then who later came back and said, well, guess what? The nodes were also positive for cancer, which then made me a prime candidate for chemotherapy. And I was afraid of chemotherapy. I didn't know much about chemotherapy, mm-hmm. but based on the little I did know, it was something that, you know, you really needed to avoid. And so I had to face my worst fear of yeah. having to go through the chemotherapy process. And I went through the process, and, and I was afraid of losing my hair. I mean, I went through all these different levels of rejection. I mean, I, you, I, I had no, the only thing I had control over at the, uh, was the how I was going to respond 
mm-hmm. to the diagnosis that I had received. And for me, it seems like that I went through this period where there was a down spiral. Mm-hmm. Uh, after they began the chemotherapy, they had another test that they had taken and later found that there was a spot on my lung and liver, which brought forth even more concerns, wow. uh, which which resulted in them extending the chemotherapy treatment. <laughs> Initially, I thought it would be a treatment for 90 days and it ended up being for six months. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was like a roller coaster. It was tough. Uh, and, and and through each process, uh, the news just kept coming back, um, mm-hmm. not the way I had intended it, you know. Right. And um, But, you know, I managed to get through it, uh, through prayers, through support of family members, um, and really just, uh, you know, believing in God and, and having to remember the things that he spoke to me long ago. Um, you know, my family went through a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to, there were times I had to be strong for my family yeah. because they didn't really understand. I think in the in the beginning of the chapter, you may have read where, you know, I came home, it was time for me to, to share with my family um, my diagnosis and, and, you know, the responses I got, and my family loved me and they cared, but their responses were like, oh, you know what, the doctors made a mistake, you can see when you go back. It's not going to be that way, and mm-hmm. or you know you're going to get through this. And um, well, I had to deal with the reality of you know wow. being treated for cancer, and again having the a very aggressive. Um, and what I mean by aggressive, mm-hmm. the uh, I was diagnosed with triple negative disease, wow. which is supposedly be common with African American women. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that uh, the cancer cells lack receptors for estrogen, which means that it couldn't be controlled with any drugs. You know, some women are diagnosed with breast cancer, and then they go on tamoxifen, which is a, a drug that they take for five years, and it sort of gives them like a five-year rest after mm-hmm. the chemotherapy and the radiation that the cancer won't come back for five years. But with wow. triple negative disease, your treatment options are limited. So once chemotherapy and radiation is done, that's it. Wow, that is awesome. If you just joined us, we're talking to Miss Alfreda, and we have a question in the comments, um, in the chat. Charlene, do you have a quest, quick question before I bring on uh, one of our callers? The, um, one of the things she said is that um, she had to change her attitude, or and I wanted her just to elaborate on that because I also hear that when you are given such devastating news, it's best that you surround yourself and, you know, change your mentality, um, make yourself laugh, do things that will create a positive energy. So what were some of the steps that you did? Well, some of the steps I did was just what you had said, uh, really surrounding, and I pretty much have always surrounded myself around pretty positive people. But to be quite honest with you, this was a, a major time for me, a major time of reflection Mm-hmm. And uh, to let the truth really be told, uh, and to look back over my life, because when you get a diagnosis like this and when you're not really sure of the outcome, and I am a woman of faith, and I really believe in God's power to heal, but I also believe in uh, being uh, tapping into reality. And I was at a, a time when I needed to discern God's will for my life and wonder, well, is this a process you're using me to, to bring me on home? And if so, I wanted to be ready. And if not, I needed the fortitude to fight. Uh, so I always kept really positive people around me. But reflecting on the past, I, I had to deal with some realities. There were some places in my life 
um, and some things that I was had been very unhappy with, very unhappy with some relationships. I was unhappy with a job I was in and, you know, really hadn't dealt with those emotions. So, you know, all of that sort of was uprooted during this time that I was wow. going through the treatment. That's and the same thing Nina said, that it was like a quickening that she had, you know, she had, she wanted to live her life on purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, uh, when you said you can't, you had to come to terms, is, is this, God, what you want me to do? Is this the way you're going to bring me home? She said that she had to really, like you said, deal with it, clean some mm-hmm. things up, address some things, and start living the really the life that she knew she was supposed to live. And so mm-hmm. um, I think with any type of trauma, but especially cancer, you do have that quickening. Now, Frida, I want to bring uh, one of our callers on who have been patient She's been in the okay. chat, and she's really been inspired by both uh, you and Nina's story. Hello. Welcome to Real Talk with Tanya White, 270. Hey. Hello. I'm a little emotional a little bit. Um, um, I found out, okay, this mom been ongoing about two years ago it first started. Has The lady also said she was giving herself an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it will be two years, the 30th, which I'm going to be this year going under surgery, but it was a suspicious of a mass. And they kind of ignored it. They just like, um, well, it didn't really, you know, it picked up on the mammogram, but far as picking up as if it was cancer or not, they let me walk out of there. Well, about four days shy of this year, May the 28th, four days shy of turning 30, I go in for another mammogram. They kept me from one thirty to five thirty in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. They took my October thirtieth of oh seven mm-hmm. and compared it to this one. And it come back of being a highly suspicious of malignancy. So, um I went to another doctor because I was in denial. I'm like, uh, I don't really believe this but I noticed as I was examining my breast and it got it, it, all of a sudden it went from two years ago size of a pea to an ounce of size of a golf ball. And what stirred it up? I was doing something here in the house, and I went to reach over, and when I did, I couldn't go over no more. So I go in the twenty first this month uh, to schedule. Uh, I guess it looks to be I've signed papers to once they get in there to remove my breast because um, they was going to go in and do a needle biopsy. But the doctor that was at the time uh, doing my mammogram and all this, he, he he told the surgeon, he says, I don't think we ought to put her through this needle biopsy because we know that we're going to remove this. And they know that what their whereabouts are because it's right here in the paper in front of me. Um, I went from a negative to a a Benjamin Binding and uh, probably Benjamin Short Intravenual, a suspicious um, abnormality, highly suspicious for malignancy. Appropriate action should be taken. I feel like I have been through a a strong road. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my husband six years ago to a heart attack, and I just found out by my real family not my adopted parents. This makes it difficult for me. But for my real mother, I happened to call her up, and I was like, Mom, I need to know something. And then I, she said, 
Cheryl, are you okay? That's my real name. I might as well say, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I say, I said, yes, Mom, this is me. I said, Mom, she said, you sound, you're all shook up. I said, Mom, um, I need to know something, and you need to try to help me. I said, I need to know about breast cancer. And she says, oh, no, oh, no, please say no. I said, I can't say no. She said, my father died at the age of 58 of breast cancer. Her mama died. My grandma died. My dad's mom and his sister, her sister. And then I have a half-sister that got diagnosed at 24. She's like 37 now, and it's all over her body. And here I am with a 7-year-old child. And my family, my adopted family, are all passed away. You don't have much of a support. And I'm like that one woman. I have a so-called godmother mm-hmm. of 27 years. She's like, I don't believe you. I think you're just saying it just for attention. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Cheryl, Alfreda, did you have to go through uh, the doubt that Cheryl said she did? Uh, with, do you, you have children, and so yes, I, in fact, my daughter that, was eight years old. Mm-hmm. She was. She was how old, Alfreda? Eight. She was eight, eight. years old. Mm-hmm. How, okay, mine's turning eight uh, next month. He knows. He's aware that uh, my breast may be taken, and I got. I kind of laughed at him. <laughs> he says. Well, that's fine. They can have your left one, but they can't have your right one. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you just a little bit more. I breastfed my children. Mm-hmm. Okay, I took mastitis. Okay, this knot is totally different, but it was in, it's in the same place where that was. But the mastitis was treated as a, with an oral medication, and it was red. This ain't even red. It just went from a pee to a, wow, one centimeter now. It's just, and then... Recently, in the last week or two, I started examining a little bit more, and I popped up where my nipple is, another little knot. Mm-hmm. Now, Frida, when, when, sure, I'm going to put you on mute because so, I want Frida to give more time to tell about her story, but thank you for calling. I want you to explain about how you explained it to your child of going through that because that is a big thing, uh, dealing with cancer, and you as an adult do not understand it. And now you have mm-hmm. to explain it to your child. How did you do that as a mother, or what were your steps? Well, um, I remember, like it was yesterday, me mm-hmm. sharing with her, and I was probably more concerned about her than, by the way, I have an, an adult son, too. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, I'm a grandmother. Mm-hmm. But I was really concerned about her being so young. And uh, I, re- I, I was sharing with her. In fact, at the time of me sharing, we had the Oprah Winfrey show on and they were talking about breast cancer. Wow. And she actually asked me before I had an opportunity, because she was tuned into the television at the same time. Yeah. And I said, Janelle, I said, um, Mommy has breast cancer. And she asked me, she said, are you going to die? Wow. Mm. And before I could even answer her, because she said it, I, I just wasn't expecting for her to, mm-hmm. to ask me that, because I hadn't even been confronted at this point with the possibility of death. Wow. And I said, well, I said, well, we're all going to, you know, leave here one day. And so she immediately changed the subject and she says, well, you know, but that's okay. Well, you know, she's a daddy's girl. Well, daddy can take care of me and my grandmother can do my hair. Wow. And she sort of spins off and went out the room, but that was the way she had to cope with yes. the news, you know. And um, I was very fortunate because my parents um, knew that, you know, was going through the chemotherapy was going to bring forth some changes, 
And their number one concern was that I had the level of care that I needed. Mm-hmm. I had the time and space to be able to nurture myself and that I didn't have to carry anybody else's feelings or their emotions but my own <laughs> because wow. it was going to take all within me, you know, to go through a life-changing um, situation uh, or even the diagnosis of cancer or any chronic illness, it takes fortitude to live. Mm-hmm. And, and that's having the emotional and mental strength. And we really don't think about, we never really prepare for, it, for times. It's, there's nothing we could do to really prepare, but to be able to keep ourselves in a place where we're constantly nurturing ourselves, that we're processing our feelings and our thoughts yeah. about just different adversities and, and sort of allowing us to go through a, a healing process. Um, well, one thing I want to, uh, in your book, Alfreda, I love your book, and uh, Cheryl's going to get a copy of the caller, and we have one more copy to go give away. But you, okay. this is what, uh, I've never had cancer, but my mother dealt with lung cancer, and this is what I struggle with. You, Chapter 7, A Call for Compassion. From the mm-hmm. caregiver, the church, the community, and the marketplace. That is so important. And that's what I want you to close out with because when I found myself in that situation with my mom, uh, her dealing with that and being trying to process it myself about my mom having lung cancer, I found that, you know, when when the rubber meets the road sometimes, you find mm-hmm. out who who people really are and yeah. who are with you and willing to give, give that compassion um, yeah. And so the caregiver, the church, the community, all working together need to be compassionate. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to just say that that was inspired. Um, I was inspired to write that um, after experiencing what I call silence in the in the population of survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not I'm not speaking for all survivors. There are some, and it's a very personal issue, um, a very intimate issue. Um, but there were, at a time when I was diagnosed, it was really hard for me to find survivors that was willing to talk about their experiences wow. to encourage me. They, many got choked up. Many remained silent. In fact, I know people now that are in ministry and places of influence who have gone through this process and have not shared it with their families. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very, very sensitive topic. And for me, there was a cry inside that says, you know, People have to know, and it takes more than your family, you're right. It takes more than um, your church. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes everybody involved, all those spheres of influence to help us through the way. So this is how that chapter uh, was birthed in the process. Um, it's really important. The church has, I'll say real quickly, the church has a role because I think the church is uh, should be the master practitioner mm-hmm in explaining what healing really is. Oh, and well, those are can you that say that were, again, Miss Alfreda? They say it real said, slow. <laughs> the church, the body of Christ, mm. needs to become the master practitioners mm. in mm. healing and being able to handle people, whether they're at the end of the life process, but they will truly be able to explain healing, um, life and death matters. And I'll just tell you this quickly. This is something I even personally struggled with at one point, and I'm a minister, is, you know, we we look for the manifestation of our healing. You know, we do the, the name it, the claim it, and we mm-hmm. pray about it. And after a while, we expect to see something change, and we expect to see it done. Well, because I'm not walking in the manifestation of it, does that mean that I'm not healed? Of course not. No. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Woo, Miss Ivory, you just set me free. I'm telling you, I'm a minister. I was anointed by mother, believing, praying. And let me tell you, I had to come to terms with the fact that this, my mother died in 05, but that is the way he healed my mom. It may not be the, the way that he healed others, but that was the way he healed my mom. And I had to come to terms with that and really with the crazy Christians, I call them, who mm-hmm. said that I didn't believe enough or my mom didn't believe enough because yeah. she is not walking on earth. And so, like I told Miss, I said earlier, I really have to thank the Lord for holding back some of the fighting Tanya in me because when you go through some crazy situations like that, it's cancer. You need that compassion, and that's that's what drew me to that chapter: the call for compassion. And you may not understand it, especially Christians. Some some of them cliches that you, that they spout off sometimes. I don't need to hear that right now. I don't need to hear that. You need to be compassionate. So, oh, that that set me free, Miss Alfreda. Thank you for writing. Well, thank you very much. I feel very strong about that because you'd be surprised how many people sit in a congregation who are silently suffering. Yes. And they walk in. They walk out the same way they walked in. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they're right there. Look at all the resources and the people. I mean, and they're right in a place to receive God's healing, but they're very conscious. Of you know and, and why they don't share because they're afraid of how people are going to respond. If they're going to respond, I'm going to bring you back for another show. We're going to talk about that <laughs> church folk. I got your name written right now because yeah, you're hitting on some stuff we don't even have time to get into right now. <laughs> Shirley, do you want to ask Miss Alfreda uh, another quick question before our time has quickly come and gone? But we're definitely going to have you back. No, but I, I just want to thank her for, you know, coming and sharing her story because it's one topic that many don't like to share. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Ms. Alfreda, yeah. give out your contact information, how people can order this great book, uh, Confronting Breast Cancer. And am I saying your name right, first of all? I'm sorry. Yes, yes, it's Alfreda, and the last name is pronounced Eatland. Um, uh huh. Um, they can purchase it online. Uh, my website is www.abelieversjourney.com. Um, my email address is abelieversjourney at verizon.net. And my telephone number is 301-204-4548. Um, it can also be purchased through the publisher's website, which is zadocpublishing.com. Is it on Amazon? No, not yet. It will be soon. Okay, and what's your email again? I'm gonna put it up in our chat room. It's a believer's journey at Verizon dot net. Okay, uh, Miss Alfreda, you have been awesome, uh, powerful, and we're gonna have you back. What a quick last word for people who are uh, have just found out that they've gotten this diagnosis. What words can you encourage them with? What I would say is take deep breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at your resources around you. Uh, go to someone and share your diagnosis with someone that you trust, that you can, you know, trust with your feelings. Um, and have someone help help you walk through the process. Keep the faith. Uh, if you're not connected to a church, um, or connected to a, a, a body of believers that can encourage you and pray for you, 
Um, I do believe that you, you of the laying on hands, and I, I mm-hmm. believe in God truly being able to heal and do it exceedingly above what we can ask or think. Um, so you definitely want to do that. You don't want to overreact because we have a tendency of getting that first diagnosis thinking, oh, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, most of these cases are not to death. Um, and so, but then it's a time of reflection. Um, you know, start gathering your papers together mm-hmm. and nurturing yourself through the process, uh, really dealing with your feelings and your emotions. Uh, and that is really, truly important because stress feeds cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't want to... Uh, you don't want to start planning to do chemotherapy and planning the end process without even knowing really what the diagnosis consists of. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you get two or three opinions. Um, I believe that that's important as well because there are many options out there now. Uh, there are uh, products, natural products, that could aid in sometimes even slowing down a, a, a growing process of a tumor. So there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of resources um, wow. out there, and that would be my advice. Wow. Awesome advice. We thank you so much for taking time out your busy schedule and donating your wonderful book, Confronting Breast Cancer, A Believer's Journey. We will follow up with you later and try to get you back on this show, Miss Alfreda. Okay. Thank you very much. I thank you for uh, allowing me to share. Thank you so much, thank- and you have a fantastic night. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you just joined Real Talk with Tyler White, we just did our segment about breast cancer. Nina and Alfreda basically gave us great nuggets of wisdom for their journeys and, and encouragement. Sherlyn, what do what stuck with you? Uh, if you met somebody who said, I have breast cancer, what could you pull from those two women? Uh, um, actually, one of, I guess from both, um, one of the things Nina was saying, uh, take deep breaths. Uh, at the episode, he was saying, take deep breaths. And I really feel that uh, what both ladies were saying, that uh, even when you, if you can't find a support system, you have to really just change your mindset because it doesn't automatic institute that it's a death sentence. Yes. So true, so true. Uh, listen, Shirley, we're going to take a break because you're going to come back and talk about domestic violence. And I know you're going to be on the road, so I want you to get some water. Okay. Take a break. <laughs> Uh, give out your contact information before you get on the road. Okay, you can reach me at area code 323-580-4604. You can go to my website, which is unveilingthemask.com, or you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at um, Sherlyn Vaughn. That's V-O-N-N. All right, we're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to come back with Ms. Sherlyn Vaughn, and she talks about domestic violence in her experience. We'll be back in about four minutes, y'all.
diamond rings But some things wasn't worth none of the pain that he brings And you say what made you fall for him That that had the power to make you crawl for him I thought you was a doctor, be on call for him Smack you down, cause he said you was too tall for him huh. That wasn't love, baby girl, you was dreaming I could've killed you when you said this he was growing from his feet about me I can't talk about domestic violence without talking about the sexual abuse because okay. I had sex I, I was sexually abused as a child but my stepfather who abused me was also physically abusive to my mother so mm. I grew up in a household with domestic violence okay and so do you think that played a part in your cycle starting that played a part in my cycle in many different ways on both levels Okay. Uh, because, number one, when I was abused sexually, I, at eight years old, I had no knowledge of what love is mm-hmm. and what love constitutes. And uh, many times we tell our children, do as I say, not as I do, but the children are going to emulate what they see lived in their household. So it was okay in my mind, although I knew it wasn't okay, I was seeking for love because I had uh, no idea. My first conception of love is what a grown man told me love was, which led to me being promiscuous, you know, promiscuity and many other things because I had low self-esteem coming from a abusive background as a child. Okay. So you know, you you then in turn 
model what you see was in your home. Yes. And so I Say that again, also, Shirley, because a lot of parents think, you know, I'm doing this, the kids are not seeing it, but they are seeing it, whether you think they're seeing it or not. Children have an innate, uh, they have an innate radar. Children may not be able to uh, explain or articulate what they see from an early age, but they have uh, a built-in radar. If you ever see, it amazes me when you have a young child because children model what was seen in their home. So when you have a young child, and I'm sure you've had a child that, you know, you get ready to give her to somebody and all of a sudden she just starts screaming her head off, well, that children, that child is picking up her reception and saying, something ain't quite right with this person. I don't mm-hmm. really feel safe going to this person. But instead of us paying attention to that, we're like, oh, girl, she just woke up. She crabby. No, the child know why she doesn't want to go to this person. Mm-hmm. But we yes. don't pay attention to that. And now, so, now, now let's, and let's talk about especially women, because I talk about this a lot, that we have been programmed to um, whatever the male species does, he's just a man. That's an excuse. You know, if he's abusive, oh, you know, you know, he's just a man. He had a hard day. Let him work through that. I, 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 I grew up hearing that uh, from uh, grandmothers and, and some other family members, you know, uh, to excuse it. My grandmother was uh, uh, physically abused by my grandfather. Um, and so uh, a lot of the you know, myths about women being, quote, unquote, submissive to a man. and It's really letting allowing men to walk over them. So how can other women stop that cycle, stop, you know, perpetuating those myths and those unhealthy behaviors um, in, their, in their sisters, in their children, in, in, in their friendships? You know, because we, we uh, the word of mouth, the, we, we can convince anything, whether we know it or not, as women. So how can women you know, change their behaviors and uh, and stop the stop the daily cycle of domestic violence. Well, you know, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying this, but we give the devil too much credit. Yeah. Everything yeah. that goes wrong, we want to say, that devil, you know the devil did it. And the, no, some things you have control over. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. the devil ain't even studying you, and you just repeatedly going to the same old mistake. He mm-hmm. ain't even tripping off you anymore. So the thing about it is we as women, I tell women all the time when they say that, you know, um, they excuse it, you know, I knew I shouldn't have said that to them, I knew that was going to take them off and all this kind of stuff. First of all, women, instead of us leeching out out of desperation and loneliness to be in a relationship with a man, we first need to have a relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing people say, oh, I love myself. That's become the national anthem for African-American women. Mm-hmm. I love myself, but we mistaken self-pampering for self-love. Mm-hmm. So the problem is because we think we get our hair did and our nails and we dress in the finest designers that we love ourselves. No, that's a mask that you're wearing because you really don't want to deal with yourself. And say and again, so- <laughs> what is it, what is it, Charlotte? It's a mask that we portray because we don't want to deal with ourselves. So we get the weeds and we get the makeup and we get all these other things because we really don't want to deal with who we are barefoot and naked. You know, when we're looking in that mirror, many of us won't even look. We barely take a quick glance in that mirror because when we're naked, we feel that we're vulnerable. 
Mm-hmm. And we don't like what the eyes are showing us, so we put up all these pretenses. We put the clothes, we put on the designers, you know, and certain things to make him feel or to make us feel that we look better to the world. But, I, you know, when I first left my husband after domestic violence, because I didn't have a relationship with myself, mm-hmm. I had, I was being every who everybody wanted me to be, didn't have a clue of who Sherlyn really was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a mother, I was a sister, and I had all these labels, but that's not who I was. So right. when I had to get down, I had to cut the TV off, get away from people, get away from my family. I had to cut everything down. And I remember the Spirit told me to read nothing but inspirational, motivational, self-help Christian books, mm-hmm. not fiction, not the romance, not the erotica, get mm-hmm. away from all that because I had to really change my mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have any, you know, my grandmother was abused by my grandfather. Right. My mother was abused by my stepfather. So I had no ideal picture of what a man should do for a woman. Mm-hmm. And there's many different levels. You know, we talk about physical abuse because that's more prime. But my, uh, I had a grandfather who was verbally abusive to my grandmother. Right. So I had to realize that all those is not love. That's just what I had, but so since I didn't know what love was, I had to go out and find it. And how can I find something that I don't know what it looks like? I don't know what I'm looking for. So then I had to go and turn and start loving myself. I had to get up and look in myself, barefoot, naked, her nappy, all, and say, you're the bomb. Mm -hmm. You look good. I had to be able to say to myself. And, you know, I had to say, you know, no matter how big the thigh was, how round the tummy, I had to say, you still look good. And work on my mindset as far as believing. Because you could say, you could tell yourself, oh, girl, you the bomb, and you don't really believe it. Mm, Because it goes back to those masks, Sherlyn. (laughs) I'm going to put on this mask so people can think I'm what I want people to think. That I am, because like you said, wow. being authentic, being who you really are, loving yourself, it is a 25-hour commitment. And, yeah, we only got 24 hours in a day. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. It takes yes. every second of every day to really choose, because it is a choice, to be yourself. So if I'm not myself, and like you said, I know why the Lord told you not to read fiction or write, because we all live in an illusion the majority yeah. of our lives. And so when we're really ready for a breakthrough and a change, because I know the Lord had me not listen to a whole lot of stuff at a season in my life, uh, read certain things, because I had to get that clear focus of what and who I was. And so if you just join Real Talk with Tyler we're talking to the sensational Sherlyn Vine, and she is, uh, she's on fire, <laughs> fire, tonight and talking about domestic violence and she's talking about sexual abuse because I want to go to my book Sherlyn the 99 males who make your life a living hell because you said something so clear you said you can't talk about domestic violence without talking about sexual abuse and in my book I talked about the men who cause mortality and I list four types of abusers because they all go together uh the emotional abuser the physical abuser the uh the sexual abuser and the spiritual abuser because it's like a chipping away of each type of abuse to lead, that leads to the next one. And so you said that you cannot talk about domestic violence without talking about the sexual abuse. And we mentioned earlier that uh, your sexual abuse was because you dealt with rejection 
uh, when you was abused, you had low self-esteem, dealt with that rejection, and so that opened the door, so to say, uh, for you to allow uh, the d- domestic violence in, in your life because that's all you saw in 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 as models in your family. Now, now let me let's go to the signs that you ignored because I believe we all have signs um, in our lives sometimes from the, the domestic violence aspect because you were sexual abused at what age? From eight to twelve. Eight to twelve. So you are a minor, a child. Really have no control on that. Before we go to the signs, talk about because I know a lot of single mothers. I have a single mothers in my family, and you talk about the desperation to have a man. We're not making wise choices, first of all, women, with the men we choose to have in our lives. It is so critical in this crazy society. I still know women who meet a man on Sunday on Facebook trolling. Yeah, yeah, and have at their house Monday morning, morning, yeah. Monday morning, and sneaking around uh, and putting on those masks for women because I'm I'm the one I'm going to speak to you truthfully, uh, especially when it comes to my niece and nephew. Uh, with my sister, she must sometimes she thinks I'm so hard, but I know that when you allow that door to open, because if you don't know the man, your children are not going to know the man, and you don't know what he's going to do. Yes, he may look you, and he may, you know, stimulate you sexually. He may provide you. But as a mother, and this is just Tanya's tip, Tanya's theory, as a mother, a single mother, you need to do everything to guard and protect your child. So sometimes that means delaying your own uh, sexual and physical gratification until, you know, you feel comfortable with that man. What was you going to say? I was just going to say that is so key because many women get into relationships out of desperation and out of loneliness. And mm-hmm. like you say, meet a man on the Internet on Sunday and he's in our house Monday morning. Or you, you, don't meet know him him. Monday, you meet him Monday at the gas station and he's taking you out on a date where he's picking you up. But if that same man was to meet you at the gas station Monday morning and ask you Monday evening to borrow your car, you'll say, are you crazy? But you will let him into your home where your most precious cargo is. That's why it took me to learn and to love myself. See, what I've come to realize, Tanya, when I left my husband, I had to realize that once I fell in love with Sherlyn, Mm -hmm. once you really fall in love, not talk the talk, but Mm -hmm. walk the walk of falling in love with yourself, when a man come up to you, you'll be like, Lord, not right now. I'm enjoying myself. I need to send him back a few more years. That's when you know that you're in a relationship, when you're not seeking one. When you're constantly on the prowl looking for a man to come into your life to build this void, or as women always say, male companionship, Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're getting when it's male companionship. You're mm-hmm. too, have you ever tried to take two broke objects in your house and try to make it a whole? Two broken people cannot make a whole unit. So mm-hmm. that's why you're supposed to be preparing yourself, knowing who you are, and he's preparing himself. So when God brings you two together, it's like this is what I have, and he's saying this is what I have. Let's put it together and let's work and build something new. But what we do, because out of lonely and Desperation. We're looking for a knight in shining armor to Zorro into our life and lift us up out of our mess, the same mess that we don't want to deal with ourselves. So and why and let's a- stop right there, Shirley. I don't think in this day and age a lot of women are looking for a knight. They're just looking for a male in their life 
uh, because uh, it's some women that I know, uh, that knight in shining armor that they think they're getting is going to be provider, protector. He's going to be protector not only financially but of your emotions, of your reputation, of your character. So any man who comes into your life that destroyed any of that, he's not a knight in shining armor. So many times, and I can only talk from my experience uh, as a woman myself making bad choices and as I see of females that I know, especially with children, and I say this because my niece and nephew, I'm very protective. And when when my sister and I got, I'm just gonna, she makes unhealthy choices, and most of her unhealthy choices, and we could go here, is from men in her church. Ladies, oh, just because oh. he goes to your oh. church does not make oh. him a Christian. Can you talk? On that, Charlene. Oh, you know, don't give me. Oh, uh, this. Get, get you started. I've extended the show, so we got time. Okay, this uh, women who let me say, let me just put it in this aspect. I don't care if he's a sexual predator. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he's a domestic violence abuser. A predator knows its prey. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, I, my, me, myself, I'm a lover of Animal Planet, National Geographic. You know, I'm like a fanatic about those shows. Mm-hmm. And Tanya, if you ever sat down and watched a lion as he's watching his prey, he don't just run out the cave and just pack his lion. He <laughs> no, he does not. Wait. He, he studies. He looks at how fast. He knows everything about his his food <laughs> before he ever first strikes. Mm-hmm. A predator knows how it's prey. The people at church, they know whether it's at church, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your community. The predator knows the women that's lonely, that's needy, that's desperate. He knows that. He, what you fail to realize, you're emanating a radar. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the man is picking up on that. You're attracting those men to you because you're emanating this radar. And it's not necessarily how you dress. It's a, a energy that you, portray, yeah. that you put out and the men say, uh-oh, single mother, she, mm. there, there you go. It, it, it order, you don't have to say a word. Let, he picks up on it. And just me, because and here's he, a and signal, Sherlyn. I hate to cut you off, but let me tell you this. And I heard this from a male friend of mine of uh, how he can tell what type of mother that that woman is. He looks at her and if and the way she's walking with her kids. If she's her kids are walking behind her, he can automatically tell that she doesn't care much about their safety. He she doesn't care much about what happens to them. She is lead you know she's in the front. She can't see them because they're in back of her if they're walking down the street. He said, but he could tell if she's surrounded, if she's carrying him, if the kids are walking in front of her, and if she's looking at every step they take, how uh, that she's a great mother. So when you say predator, one of the signs that he may see is how you interact with your kids. If you're spending time all the time with him and he knows that he just met you and you're not giving time to your kid, he already knows he got you, don't you think? And that's true because, like I said, he 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 lies in wait. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. even for sexual abuse. Uh, with the same thing with domestic violence, but even with sexual abuse, you know, the media wants us to think that it's some stranger danger, Mm -mm. that some Mm -hmm. man just came into our neighborhood and stole one of our children. That's not the case. Nine times out of ten, we let the predator in our home. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we let them in our home is because we're needy, we're Mm -hmm. desperate, and we want uh, somebody to lay in you. It's going to get cold now, so we want somebody to warm us up night. So How we're many babies are going to be conceived in the next two months, Sherlyn? We, <laughs> right. We have dropped the standards. And see, the predator is laying and he's 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 paying attention to how close the mother and daughter is. Mm-hmm. And he's paying attention to, you know, do they talk a lot. And then he's studying this child to find out, you know, what, what what's her motive? Do she like money? Do she like toys? Is she mm-hmm. into music? He, he's he's studying them. And see, it, it amazes to me because we allow our precious cargo, we sacrifice them for, you know, uh, great sex that only lasts five minutes, then you find out it wasn't that real great. And mm-hmm. we sacrifice them for all finances and we sacrifice them for a lot of things that leave them with lifetime scars, lifetime issues, because we're with a man. Mm-hmm. And see, many a times we have been scarred ourselves, Tanya, so mm-hmm. we don't know how to deal with that. And what I mean by that, we the reason why the predators are so easy to come in is because, you know, we have available. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. have any signals up to say, no, that's going to be a hard catch. For me, dealing with sexual abuse, it was promiscuity. I didn't have my father figure in my life for the first half of my lifestyle, my, you know, life. I didn't have a father figure in there. So I kept looking and searching for a father figure. So if a man told me he loved me, oh, he want to have sex with me, you know, I, you know, mm. because that's what I had. That was my first indication of what love was. So when I met my husband, who was 15 years my senior, and he was from another country, in my mind, he was my protector. In my mind, I had finally arrived because he made me feel safe. He did for me things that other people didn't do. But then when I started coming into the knowledge of who I am and started doing certain things, he took on the daddy role a little too much. But then now he starts feeling that he's going to chastise me when mm. I've done something that he didn't like. Mm. And for because I already had this as this, oh, this is supposed to happen. This is, you know, normal for me. I stayed many years beyond what I should have. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've also been taught a lot of times we do our women a disservice. You know, my grandmother used to tell me, you say no matter what. You mm-hmm. stand behind your man. And, and you I want know, to talk about that uh, as sisters, as friends, because I know when I think about um, uh, some, of, some of the choices I made with crazy men, I knew they were crazy, but on the outside, you know, uh, because I had a man friend said, "Girl, he, you know, you need to stay with him." Or when my sister, when I, when I as a sister was trying to give her advice, some of my friends and family, and you know who you are, came <laughs> against that and said, "Girl, T don't know what she's talking about. You know, you need to stay. He's a good man, but he was crazy. But they didn't know that he had domestic violence uh, cases at the courthouse that I knew about. They didn't know that he was investigation for some." Uh, 
sexual molestation charges, but because, you know, he was cute and my sister convinced them that, you know, he was the man for her and she wasn't telling them everything and she was putting that mask on because they was desperate in their situation. They uh, gave her desperate advice. And so I want you to talk about that as women. What disservice do we do to other women by just because our own minimalized thinking we encourage women to stay in unhealthy situations or pursue unhealthy relationships because, you know, that's the illusion we want for ourselves. Can you talk about that? You know, when I got ready to leave, my first thing my mama said is, are you sure you got three kids? Mm. As if I couldn't make it by myself with three kids. Mm-hmm. She didn't say, well, sweetie, come home and we whatever it is, it'll take, we can do it. She, I didn't have that, but once again, I had to realize the mentality that my mom was coming from. Yeah. She yeah. stayed with an abuser. Mm-hmm. And for her, she stayed many a time. Sure enough, I remember many a time she packed us up and we would stay, go, move to my grandmother's house for a weekend. And when he said, I'm sorry, baby, come home, we went back. So right. we moved many a times throughout my elementary school years. And for women, especially as sisters, devout Christians, we do a great disservice because, number one, this is an issue that we don't want to bring up in church. Mm-hmm. We don't want to expose good Deacon Brown. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to put Pastor Jenkins on forefront. Because, see, because Romans 8, 3.23 said we all fall short of sin in the glory of our God. That's why we don't do it, right, Shirley? We use that verb. Yeah, right. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't do it because in the African American community, we're taught what happens in this house stays in this house. Mm-hmm. So, so we don't have our dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Huh? The house is dysfunctional. So what do right. we do? <laughs> But we have to, no, no, everybody's house is dysfunctional, but you, we going to deal with our dirty laundry in this house. Don't you dare expose our family name. Don't mm-hmm. you dare put my pastor on front street, because mm-hmm. if you put him on front street, then what the church is going to do, they're going to rally and shun you. You're going to be ostracized mm-hmm. because you're trying to disrupt <laughs> Good mm-hmm. Pastor Tinkin or Dinkin Brown. And Stella rally around the sister that is um, coming from sexual abuse or domestic violence, which are issues we don't want to talk about because we've gotten so used to preaching the good, good sermon of prosperity and abundance and God is going to bless you with all that you desire. We don't want to deal with the issues mm-hmm. that, that plagues many of our parishioners because then we can't get the shouts and we can't get the amens and the tongues don't talk as fast when we're dealing with issues of this nature. But half the parishioners are going through these very same things. Mm -hmm. When you see a sister constantly, you know, for me, I remember going to work and one lady looked at me and she said, what happened? I said, girl, I was up on the ladder trying to put something and I fell. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and said, "Mm mm-hmm. Now, I knew that she knew that I was covering up. Mm -hmm. But how many times can you cover up a black guy? Mm -hmm. How many times can you fall down the steps? If your steps is that dangerous, Mm -hmm. you probably need to look for another house (laughs) or move. Yes. Yes. But see, that's the thing. We just said, oh, okay, and then we'll come back home and we'll say, well, girl, sister, so-and-so, I know something's going on, but we don't say nothing. We won't dare pull that sister to the side and say, baby, what's really going on? Yeah. This between me and you. 
Yeah. We don't reach out. We don't lend a helping hand and see what we fail to realize as Christians. It takes all of us mm-hmm. to come together to work into the kingdom of God. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's, it's, we, like, we don't say that, Shirley, because we ourselves sometimes are afraid of being rejected by that person. We're going to lose that friendship. She's not going to talk to me. But I had to come to terms. I was like that. You know, I'm not going to say nothing even though I know. I had to come to terms with, you know what, you may not like what I say, but eventually you will respect what I say and you respect me. So you can, you know, you cannot talk to me. You can cuss me out. I don't care when I know that I'm I'm coming to you out of a spirit of concern and want the best for you. I can deal with that now, but it, it goes back to what you said in the beginning. You have to know and start loving yourself because when you do that, when you start loving yourself, you can start loving other people. And the way we love other people, ladies and gentlemen, is to speak truth and to help them and tell them when, you know, you're there to help them when they need help. They may not accept it, but let them know, and eventually they will come around. But it, it does come to a personal choice, I keep hearing you say, that you had to make up in your mind that enough was enough. And for me, I had to determine that enough was enough because I knew, you know, like I said, I had three small children, and although mm-hmm. they couldn't articulate it, I remember sometimes me and my husband would be sitting in the same house and we weren't speaking. We were on one of those hiatus where I can't stand him and he can't stand me. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, who was three years old, sometimes she would come and take my hand and pull me over to where my husband was and put my hand on his hand. Mm, trying children to keep the are perceptive. She, that she could, uh, she can feel the tension. She mm-hmm. can feel that something wasn't right. She probably didn't know, and of course, I tried to protect her from things. But children hear the argument. They hear the name calling. Mm-hmm. They can sense that daddy didn't kiss mommy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Children are very perceptive, and we leave that impartation onto our children without giving them the benefit of the doubt. So it got to a point to where I had to say enough was enough. It got to the point to where I had to move on. And see, a lot of times women who have been abused, they don't want to talk about it for fear of being shunned. They don't want to talk about it for fear of being, um, you know, ostracized throughout their church. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk because we gotten so used to criticizing everybody and judging, you know, oh, look at sister so-and-so, why is she dressed like this? And look at this person and look at that person. That's the way we come and see certain issues like, like I said earlier, domestic violence and sexual abuse. We don't want to preach them topics. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those are the very topics that was dealt in the Bible because Amnon raped his sister Tamar in the Bible. Yes, Yes, he did. So we have those very same issues, everything that, but see, we don't want to, discuss that because then we have to expose it. We don't want to talk about domestic violence and sexual abuse, but those two put together have claimed more lives than breast cancer, mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS, mm-hmm. and, you know, diabetes put together. Mm-hmm. But, wow. you know, and half of the parishioners are dealing with those same issues, but they feel that they don't have it because good so-and-so, that she's with this clique, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's about clicks when it comes to church, and nobody is reaching out to the sister and the child and saying they don't want to put, you know, it's not on my watch. You know, my grandmother used to say it takes a village to raise a child. But mm-hmm. what happens to that child when the village has turned its back on it? 
Yeah. Who yeah. does that child turn to when the village is like, it ain't my business, so, mm-hmm. so you know, I don't see, I don't hear, I don't say. Yeah. And that's the attitude that we've taken. Even when it, we know that it's happening within our family, nobody wants to get involved because yeah. she's grown. She, and well, I, think about the children. And think about and that's what that's what that's what me as a I'm one thing my my nephew and my my niece who's only three she know at when it comes to them oh it's on you do not mess with the babies you do not mess with the babies and that's my village right now uh, my nephew and my niece uh, because that that's who I've assumed responsibility for uh, and so and it brings us to another great point we have about. 15 minutes left, Charlotte. And I want okay. you to talk about, because we stop, women, we're not berating, but we we can influence each other's choices and we can help. And I want us to talk about when we know that the man is a domestic abuser, has some issues, and just because he's left that marriage, and you know where I'm going because that's our are you serious moment, and then because he's free, we're going to marry him because we believe in our heart that he is different. Let let me let Emery do her job right now, Sherilyn. We're going to talk about Are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> there is a situation that's occurring this Saturday, and I was just like, oh, my God. Now, I'm not – let me clarify this. I'm not saying anything against the man. I'm – trying to understand the situation. Let me let Emery do it one more again because this is crazy to me. Are you serious? Are you serious? Bishop Weeks, and we know him, uh, he married Juanita Bynum, and two years ago uh, had a domestic violence situation, exactly two years ago in August, and now he's getting married to a prophetess, Glenn. They sent out uh, radio, uh, uh, video invitations through Gospel Tube, they get married this Saturday, October 17th. Now, Sherlyn, I sent you the email with the OMG in capital letters. Yes. Because in my mind, uh, that's that what happened, although we don't know exactly what happened. Right, we just, right. We just get the reports, and that's what we're going off of. There were some um, situations, some issues, and... I don't know if two years is a long time uh, to get healed, but after all the mudslinging that they did for about six to eight months, um, that that kind of disturbed me. Uh, me as a woman, seeing another woman marry a, a, man, a known uh, man with issues of domestic violence. Now, we can say, oh, you know, he didn't do it, blah, 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 but there was issues there. What is your take on that? Because that that really disturbed me, um, it, and that's just two years ago. My take on it is, um, you know, us women, our innate ability is to be nurturers, caregivers, and takers. And we always think that it was the other woman that caused <laughs> something to make him do that. We always think he's not going to do it to me. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen on my, because once I love him and be there for him and she didn't do that. You know, we always find fault with the other woman, and we don't know ourselves 
you know, the whole situation. I've never heard of this, you know, prophetess before, but there is many issues that I ask and have questions about it because I do find it a bit disturbing, and I do want to know not only did he get healing, but what have you done? Have you nurtured yourself, or is it that you're so ready to be married to Bishop Weeks? Is it mm-hmm. the name thing? Is it, you know, the it's a lot of things that go into play that I have questions about, but the first thing I thought about is that she's thinking it's not going to happen to me. Exactly, and that, and that's that's what disturbed me. And, and and I'm not down in marriage. I'm not saying that he can't change, but the way they're promoting and because they're promoting the wedding, they're promoting yeah. it again. Yeah. And somebody who already went through a sensationalized uh, promotion of their last wedding and then a sensationalized divorce, you, my mind, and I'm just only speaking for myself, you would draw back and just want intimate friends, or if you're really healed, and if not, then don't, I mean, because they sit on a big promotion. I received it from Gospel Tube, and they have a video uh, inviting everybody to the wedding, and, you know, they're looking, I mean, very looking, very much like uh, they did with Juanita Bannum. And that's what's scary to me. Uh, it's really scary, and I'm thinking, okay, in, in the mind of a woman, what are you, like you said, you're thinking, she's probably thinking it's not going to happen to me, or I'm going to, you know, because when we get the titles of prophetess, evangelist, we think we're in an elite category that we can pray things off for people. Because, uh-huh. you know, our, our prayers are in the holies of holies. So that was kind of disturbing to me. Um, but I know a lot of men, they, 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 they leave that one domestic violence situation and do you think they cover up or put on that mask of that they have been healed as a man uh, and start, like you said, goes back to the predator knows his prey, start the cycle all over again? Yeah, men do too because, first of all, men are not going to expose themselves. It's never their fault. It's mm-hmm. what she did that uh, uh, she knew she shouldn't have said that or, you know, as soon as I, she know I just worked a 14-hour day and as soon as I come in the door, she's nagging me. So men, you know, until you are able to say that this is my situation, it's like, you know, uh, admitting that you have a drug problem or alcohol problem. You first then have to admit to yourself that this is not right. This mm-hmm. is not healing. And the strange thing about this, a couple of months ago I heard through, I think, Black Gospel promo or something that uh, Bishop Weeks were doing some type of TV show mm-hmm. looking for his next wife. So yes. I don't know if this TV show ever took place, but then mm-hmm. now I heard he's getting married, so I'm wondering if that's from the TV show that he did. See, all that to me is sensationalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was it didn't air nationwide. If it did, it aired you know regionally. But yes, I did hear that too. It was it was less than a year after, you know, all right. that. Right, I think it was in Atlanta or something that he yeah. had this big television show looking for his next prophetess, and I guess he found her. Okay, so that yeah, I, I forgot all about that. So that's really disturbing. So let's put a cap on this because we could talk about domestic violence, uh, and it's a growing problem. And, and I love what you said uh, in the beginning. You see, a lot of celebrities are talking even domestic violence issues. They're talking about, yes, it happened to me, but they're not going into details. And we need to get into the details. We need to have sister to sister, girl or girl, 
talks about what's really going on, about the feelings, about, you know, the apprehension that goes through. So what would you tell somebody who was stuck? First of all, I wanted twofold. Talk to the single mother who knows that something is wrong with her child. Somebody is molesting her child. What would you say to that mother about confronting that issue? You know, many a times when we're dealing with sexual abuse, we don't, um, we like to stick our head in the sand if it doesn't apply to us. And many women, especially single mothers who allow the predator to come into their home, they then in turn act like they don't see it because as long as they don't see it, they don't have to confront it. Mm-hmm. And I've also had women who, when the daughter or the child come to the women, they then say, well, you fast tail helper, you caused this. Mm-hmm. I can't keep a man because of you. Mm-hmm. That when we start holding responsible, the parents responsible for the action, because this child now has a lifetime in issues, lifetime sentence. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really pay attention to your child. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for the mothers, it's for the community leaders, it's for the teachers. If your child was a straight-A student, now all of a sudden she's fighting and, you know, wetting herself and certain things like mm-hmm. that, it's for you as a, a teacher to say, what's going on, baby? Mm-hmm. You okay? What's going on? You know, it's sometimes it takes, like my grandma used to say, a village to raise a, a, na- a, a village ways a child, we've gotten away from that because everybody is on the stance now that it ain't none of my business. I'm not mm-hmm. getting involved. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I don't even see it. Don't see, don't hear, you know, like the monkeys that don't see, no hear, don't eat, no, hear no evil, don't speak mm-hmm. no evil. Yeah. That has become an atrocity now. And sexual abuse is one of our nation's national epidemic. Yeah. And I and, feel and that some, it's... There's a, some signs that people can look through. And I write this in the book, too. Night, your child's having nightmares. They're fearing a certain person or a place, like you said. Don't chuck it right. up because they're just being agitated. No. And they're having uh, new words to describe private body parts. They complain of some problems, anger issues, yeah. mood swings, and I'm just uh, rage and withdrawal, sexual activity with toys or other children, uh, as well as having no sexual conversation. Those are some signs that something right. is not right. And then sometimes as a mother, you pretty much know. Yeah. You know when something is not right with your child. No matter how, you may not know exactly what, but you know if you're a parent and you're paying attention to certain things, you can see how they react with certain people coming to the house. Yes. So, and it, like I said, it goes back to us as women. You know, we open the door many a times to allow the predator to come in. Mm-hmm. So true. Now, dealing with the sister who is uh, stuck in a domestic violence violent situation, what would you uh, encourage her with? Uh, Make a plan. You have to reach out to someone. I remember when I got ready to leave Oklahoma, I had money saved up that he didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved certain things out bit by bit without him knowing. I had a friend that had never been to my house, and I had never been to her. Well, he had never been to her house with me, so he knew nothing about because many a times when you move out, they start checking family members or mm-hmm. your closest friends. So you have to, whether it's with a coworker, you have to make a plan of escape, um, not leaving any traces, so to speak, because if he's a domestic, uh, if he's abuser, nine times out of ten he's going through your clothes, he's going through your purse, he's going mm-hmm. through 
through your drawers, checking things. He's uh, listening to your phone calls. So you have to be very discreet to where maybe you build up a code with a coworker. Yes. But, you know, every time, even when you're dealing with uh, uh, domestic violence, we always think that he's going to stop. It's not going to be happening to me. But we have a lot of victims that are no longer here because they thought the same thing. Mm. So it's up to you to protect you and your children. You know, there are certain times that, you know, you may even want to do a rush exercise. Mm-hmm. Of, of of a plan when you know he's going away, they get your moods. You know, I personally had to leave with what I could pack in a 2,000 Malibu mm-hmm. and keep it moving. So it, it's many different things and many different signs, but you yourself know. And for me at that particular time, I knew I had to get out or one, it was going in a whole nother way. Mm-hmm. So just be encouraged, get a plan. Like you said, you get a plan uh, and with the sexual abuse victim, you know, and make make the steps to correct that. Charlene, give out your uh, show information and your contact information real quick. Thank you for uh, the extended time, the extended remix of Real Talk tonight, because we had to talk about those issues. You're on fire tonight, girl, and we're going to be excited about the Unveiling the Mask book. Everything you heard tonight is going to be in Unveiling the Mask book, 2010 March. So, Charlene, give your contact yes. information. Uh, you can reach me at my website at www.unveilingthemask, that's M-A-S-K dot com, or you can contact me at 323-580-4604. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at um, Sherlyn Vaughn and on MySpace at Unveiling the Mask. Um, also, Tanya, I want you to listen to the earlier broadcast of uh, JFJ, many listeners, uh, my radio show airs on every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk, uh, titled Unveiling the Mass Radio. All right, girl, you are on fire. We can't wait for the book to come out. Uh, Joy, we'll talk next week. We talk to Reverend Valerie Pearson of the Baltimore area. Uh, she's going to talk about how to become a remarkable woman. Uh, November, we're talking about give it up, turn it loose. We're talking about addictive relationships, uh, emotional spending. And then December, the stars are shining. I'm not even going to tell you who's on for that show. But if you want to become a sponsor of the Real Talk with Tanya White show, uh, visit us at TanyaWhite.com. Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, white is in the color.com. Get your copy of the 99 Mills, who make your life a living hell, via TanyaWhite.com or Amazon.com. Uh, And then tune in every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, for the Real Talk with Tanya White Show, where we talk about real issues to enhance your real life. This was uh, a lot on our plate tonight, but we had to talk about breast cancer and domestic violence. And if you learn nothing else, listen to what these three dynamic women said tonight. Get a plan. I love what Sheldon said. Get a plan. Get a plan. And, um... Nina and Alfreda said, uh, oh, goodness, I so much. But, you know, you have to surround yourself with positive people, uh, do what you need to do. Nina said become your own advocate because sometimes even the doctors will doubt you. Uh, Alfreda said that the church needs to be the master practitioner in under, uh, letting us understand what healing is. I like that. Listen, y'all, we're going to close out with Aretha Franklin. Uh, a rose is still a rose because whether you are uh, been diagnosed with cancer or a victim of domestic violence, you are still a rose and you need to stand up uh, and do what you need to do to live your life to the fullest and without um, all the drama of domestic violence. And then 
handle your diagnosis of cancer. We'll see you next week. We love you. Bye-bye. Listen, dear, I realize that you've been hurt deeply because I've been there. But regardless to who, what, why, when, and where, we're all precious in his sight. And a rose is still and always will be a rose. Yeah,